What is going on, mere mortals? My name is John Solo, and this is part two of the very messed up origins of Sweeney Todd. If you haven't seen part one yet, you really should, because I go through about two-thirds of the story and point out some really interesting connections between the Stephen Sondheim musical from 1979, the Tim Burton adaptation from 2007, and the original publication from 1846. But if you feel like staying put, that's cool too. I'll try to include enough context clues for you to get the full impact of the insane events that are about to unfold. The Grand Finale Part 1 A Bloody Mess as different as the original story is from the musical, their plots follow a very similar formula. They start off kind of slow, but their momentum builds fast, and their third acts are a whirlwind of plot twists and revelations that culminate into an epic conclusion. If you haven't heard either of these stories before, you're in for a roller coaster ride with this episode. Just be sure to stay until the end because the payoff is worth it. So when we left off, both versions of Sweeney Todd were doing pretty well for themselves. In the musical, he and Mrs. Lovett had just set up a scheme where Todd murders the randos who walk into his barbershop and Lovett cooks them into pies to sell to customers. This is Todd's way of taking revenge against the city that robbed he and his wife of their daughter and life, and his ultimate goal is to kill the pervy Judge Turpin and his right-hand simp for orchestrating the plot that broke their family apart. So while his methods wouldn't exactly be considered noble, Sweeney is motivated by pain and rage, and in a way, it's hard not to pity the guy. In the Penny Dreadful series that this story came from, Todd and Lovett have the same operation going, but in that version, Todd's only motivator is his greed. He wants to get rich and get the hell out of London, so he robs the innocent people that he murders and then uses Lovett's pie shop to dispose of their corpses. It just so happens that one day, Todd's goal would suddenly appear within his grasp when he finds a priceless string of pearls on one of his victims, and once those are in Sweeney's possession, all of his actions revolve around finding a safe way to sell them. This pearl necklace is what sets the entire plot in motion, a fact I find very interesting considering there is no pearl necklace to be found in the musical. Though Helena Bonham Carter looks like she's ready for one. Oh, that's gross. Now, Sweeney Todd was a clever fellow and managed to come up with an excellent strategy for exchanging these pearls for cash. After paying a considerable amount to buy extravagant clothes, rent a stagecoach, and make himself look unrecognizably fancy, he swindled a pawnbroker into lending him 7,500 pounds and holding on to the pearls as insurance. After his successful hustle, Sweeney returned to his shop to find that his apprentice, Tobias, had broken into his back room and discovered the piles of loot he'd collected from his victims. So he kidnapped the boy and bribed the evil Dr. Fogg to lock him up in his madhouse. I believe that this inclusion of the madhouse is what inspired its use in the musical. When Sweeney's estranged daughter Joanna is locked up by her sexually repressed adopted father, who is real mad she didn't want to marry him. Both Tobias and Joanna make some pretty epic escapes too. In the musical, Anthony follows Sweeney's plan of sneaking into the madhouse Agent 47 style and donning the disguise of a wig maker. He requests blonde hair, which Joanna has, then he holds the doctor at gunpoint to get her out of there. An interesting difference between the two musicals is that in the stage play, Anthony drops his gun and Joanna shoots the doctor herself, while in the movie, they leave the doctor to be torn apart by the remaining inmates. Either way, Dr. Fogg gets his karmic deliverance. 
notes. In the book, Tobias's escape is a bit more messy. After the door of his cell is accidentally left unlocked by one of the guards, he sneaks into a woman's cell nearby, and together, they escape Andy Dufresne style through a tunnel that she had dug with her bare hands. That tunnel brought them to an abandoned gardening shack in the madhouse yard, and their last obstacle was to scale the high wall that surrounded the asylum which they were prepared for. Tobias climbs up a nearby tree, carefully pulls himself onto the wall, then ties the rope they made from torn off quilt around the great big iron spikes on top of the wall. Next, he watches with bated breath while his fellow escapee starts to climb up the rope. But just as she was about to reach the top, the rope snapped and she fell hard onto the ground below. Then the worst case scenario happened. Suddenly the lights in the guardhouse turned on and angry shouts broke the dead silence of night. Tobias stared down at the woman from his perch on the wall and he knew that trying to save her would just get them both killed. So instead, he turned himself away from the asylum and fell rather ungracefully on the rocks and dirt below. He was bloody and he was bruised, but Tobias Rag had just earned his freedom. So he started to run towards London where he thought that he would be safe. Not quite as smooth an exit as Joanna and Anthony's, but their nightmare is only just starting. We have officially reached the grand finale of the musical, where the truth is finally revealed and everyone bleeds everywhere. At least that's how it goes in Tim Burton's adaptation. The stage play has surprisingly little blood for being about a killer that slits people's throats. More squeamish folks might think that Burton indulged in the blood a little too much. I mean, there's enough of it that I can't even show you the full footage without YouTube age restricting this video, but I do like his rationale for upping the gore effects. He said that everything is so internal with Sweeney that the blood is like his emotional release. It's more about catharsis than it is a literal thing. I mean, it looks pretty literal to me, but that's a cool way to think about it. The fountains of blood are the visual representation of Sweeney's internal suffering being released. So at this point in the musical, all of the plot's moving parts crash into each other. Toby, Lovett and Todd's assistant, is starting to put together that Mr. Todd has been up to no good, a lot like Tobias in the original story. And to make sure that he doesn't go to the law with this information, she lures him into the bakehouse under the guise of finally letting him help her bake. But what he doesn't realize is that she's just gonna lock him in there until Mr. Todd decides how to deal with him. After Toby is locked up, Judge Turpin's personal butt plug, Beetle Bamford, shows up at the shop because of complaints about a bad smell coming from their chimneys. So Todd lures him up to his shop and kills him. Then he sends his body down to the bakehouse and scares the shit out of Toby, who realizes that he's probably next and that he should hide. That was some good thinking on his part because not long after, Todd and Lovett enter the bakehouse to try and find him. Meanwhile, Anthony drops off the freshly rescued Joanna, who's now disguised as a young lad, at the barber shop while he looks for a ride out of town. It's at this moment that the crazy homeless lady arrives, and I'm ashamed to admit that I've neglected to mention the crazy homeless lady anywhere in this presentation. But in my defense, she hasn't done a whole lot so far besides creep around and whisper to herself. Though I did notice that she's considerably hornier in Sondheim's play than in Burton's version. She spreads her legs for Anthony on more than one occasion, and somehow he resists these tempting offers. Anyway, while Joanna is waiting in the barbershop, she hears the crazy lady approaching and hides in the same trunk that once hid Pirelli's body. And not long after the lady enters, Sweeney shows up. He doesn't know who this broad is, but she gives him a look like she recognizes him and asks, don't I know you, mister? But before Sweeney even registers what she said, he hears the judge approaching, and in a rush to get rid of the woman, he slits her throat and sends her body into the shaft below. 
Mere seconds later, the judge enters the shop and Sweeney lies to him saying that Joanna escaped from the madhouse and that she's on her way here to reunite with his handsome ass. Then he convinces the judge to sit down for a shave because he needs to look best for his bride-to-be. And finally, after singing one last duet with the man who stole his life away from him, Sweeney Todd reveals his identity as Benjamin Barker and sends the judge to hell. Revenge is sweet, but it has a bitter aftertaste. Sweeney discovers Joanna hiding in the trunk and mistaking her for a boy, throws her in his chair to give her one of his signature shaves. Remember, this is the first interaction he's had with his daughter since they were separated 15 years ago. It's fortunate that neither of them know the other's true identity, but it's tragic nonetheless. Lucky for Joanna, Sweeney's death blow is interrupted by the sound of Miss Lovett screaming and she's able to run away. The barber then goes to the bakehouse to see what the hell is going on and when he gets a better look at the homeless woman's face, he realizes that she was right when she said she knew him. The woman was none other than Lucy, Sweeney Todd's wife. Mrs. Lovett led the barber to believe that Lucy died after drinking poison, but she never told him the whole story. Lucy survived. She had just lost her mind. And after learning this truth, that he could have reunited with his wife and tried to help her heal instead of going on this blood-soaked quest for vengeance, he throws Mrs. Lovett in the oven just to give her a preview of where her soul is headed. Then, while Sweeney mourns over Lucy's corpse, Tobias sneaks up from behind and slits his throat, sending the barber's soul down the same chute as the baker's. And everyone lived happily ever after. Wait, that doesn't sound right. No, in this case, it seems like every character died scared, sad, and in a lot of pain. Many of them were murderers and sex criminals, so they totally deserved it, but they were still human, and seeing the misery they inflicted on others reflected back at them is somehow both satisfying and saddening. While as grand a finale as that was, it does have some stiff competition with the book's conclusion. The Grand Finale Part 2 The Fall of Sweeney Todd after Sweeney committed Tobias to the madhouse, he needed a new assistant to look after his shop while he was preparing for his escape, and Joanna Oakley noticed the help wanted sign in the window. This was almost too perfect because she wanted to investigate Sweeney's shop after a man named Thornhill disappeared there. Thornhill was the lone survivor of the shipwreck that killed her lover, Mark Ingestry, and he was supposed to give her the news of Mark's death, as well as gift her the priceless string of pearls before Sweeney killed him and stole them. So, disguising herself as a young lad named Charlie Green, Joanna convinced Sweeney Todd to hire her, and she looked around for clues about evil goings-on there every chance she got. Which was not very often, because Todd was a paranoid dude and careful to watch what he did and said in front of her. Once again, we have some overlap with the musical. In both versions of the story, the Joanna character is forced to dress up as a lad. She does it for very different reasons, but it's incredible to me how many specific details made their way into the adaptation. Joanna doesn't end up learning a whole lot during her time as Todd's apprentice, but she does overhear one juicy conversation he has with a customer who just so happened to work for the same pawnbroker that Sweeney sold the pearls to. The customer says that he has the pearls in his possession right now and that he's in the city to try and track down the owner. Kind of ironic considering the rightful owner and previous owner are both in the same room with him at that moment. After Sweeney hears this, he realizes he could steal the pearls back from this guy and sell them elsewhere to double his profit. So he sends Joanna out of the shop to run some errands, and when she returns, the man is gone, while Sweeney is in an oddly good mood. So while Joanna is deep undercover, Colonel Jeffrey and Sir Richard Blunt are conducting their own due diligence 
Jeffrey was on the boat that saved Thornhill, and Blunt was a civil officer who had a bad feeling about the barber for a while now. I believe that these characters were a loose inspiration for Judge Turpin and Beetle Bamford, because like those two, they're also authority figures who are enemies to Sweeney Todd. And similar to Turpin, the Colonel makes a pass at Joanna, who is way too young for him. But unlike the Judge, Jeffrey politely accepts the rejection and continues to help Joanna instead of letting his poor widow feelings be hood. Anyway, Blunt and Jeffrey's theory that something sinister is going down at Sweeney's shop gets confirmed when they stake out the place and witness a rich man enter, but never leave. Then Blunt responds to some reports of a foul odor emanating from the vaults below St. Dunstan's church. And when he finds the source of the stench deep in the tunnels, he realizes the situation is much worse than he thought and that he needs to act fast. He and Jeffrey start putting together a plan to bust Sweeney Todd once and for all. Meanwhile, Sweeney is at Mrs. Lovett's. She called him over because her cook is no longer cooperating and needs to be dealt with. Unfortunately for Lovett, Sweeney had his own reasons for visiting. With him heading out of town, she would be expecting her half of their loot, but he didn't really feel like sharing anymore. So he snuck some rat poison into her brandy when she wasn't looking. Mr. Todd watched Lovett take a few swigs before he left her shop, promising to deal with her insubordinate employee that night. Then he goes back to his shop to resume packing. But before he can duck into his back parlor, a farmer walks through the door and insists on a shave. While the farmer's being lathered up, he tells the barber that he's in the city selling livestock and quietly mentions that he has a 500 pound banknote hidden in his boot, which was enough to convince Sweeney that he had to die. The barber excuses himself to get a new razor from the back parlor, and when he exits the room, the farmer, who's not really a farmer, stands up and watches as the platform his seat was sitting on is revealed to be on a wheel-like mechanism. It tilts backwards, sending whoever is sitting in it falling headfirst into the 20-foot abyss below it, while an identical chair bolted to the other side of the platform is pushed up to replace it. After witnessing this, the fake farmer sat back down like everything was perfectly normal. And when Sweeney Todd returned to see him still in the chair, he realized he'd just fucked up. The farmer, who was really Sir Richard Blunt in disguise, sprang from his seat and tackled Sweeney to the ground. Then two more officers who were hiding in the cupboard jumped out to assist with the arrest. Sweeney Todd's reign of terror had finally come to an end. Joanna Oakley was now safe and the truth about what happened to Thornhill would soon be revealed. But first, another arrest had to be made. So Richard Blunt and his squad went to Mrs. Lovett's. When they arrived, it was at the peak of Lovett's busy hour and she was waiting on a fresh order of 100 meat pies to come up through the dumbwaiter. Only when that hatch opened, she got a lot more than she bargained for. Her imprisoned assistant was hiding under the tray of pies. And as soon as he was in the clear, he jumped out of the dumbwaiter and made an announcement for all the customers to hear. The delicious pies they were consuming were made of human flesh. The uproar that followed this announcement was one for the ages. Customers were screaming, crying, projectile vomiting, and a policeman sent by Sir Richard stepped up to arrest Lovett. Before he could restrain her though, her eyes went wide, her skin turned purple, and she fell to the ground with a thud. Sweeney Todd's poison had just kicked in and it killed her on the spot. A few moments later, the shop door opened and Richard Blunt entered with Joanna Oakley. She didn't want to come along, but he had insisted. And after stepping into the shop, Joanna understood why. The man standing behind the counter, Mrs. Lovett's assistant, was also Joanna's one true love, Mark 
industry. He had survived the shipwreck that Thornhill believed he perished in and found another way back to London. He had tried to meet with Joanna when he first returned, but when he saw her talking to Colonel Jeffrey, he assumed that she moved on. So without a penny to his name, he agreed to work at Mrs. Lovett's until he could put together a plan for what to do with his life. Of course, he didn't expect to be imprisoned there against his will, but lucky for him, Sir Richard Blunt stumbled upon the bakehouse while investigating the tunnels below St. Dunstan's church. During his sleuthing, Richard found a room full of corpses that had a barber's chair bolted into the ceiling. Then he discovered another corpse-filled room that shared a wall with the bakehouse that Mark was locked in. Richard was able to communicate a plan to Mark through a small grate, and that's how we got the theatrical reveal in Mrs. Lovett's pie shop, followed by he and Joanna's long-awaited reunion. So what happened to Sweeney Todd? Authorities found that he had murdered at least 200 people over the years, including Mark's friend Thornhill. Then, the string of pearls was rightfully placed around Joanna's neck, while a noose was tied around the barbers. Sweeney Todd was swinging dead from the gallows within a few days after his arrest. Meanwhile, Joanna and Mark would go on to get married and live happily ever after. Or would they? Chapter 3 the Endless Adventures of Sweeney Todd. When I closed the String of Pearls book after reading it for the first time, it was a satisfying moment. The story was 39 chapters long, written in flowery Victorian language, and had some truly pointless side stories that didn't move the main plot along at all but the payoff at the end made all that time I invested feel so worth it. Now imagine my surprise when I was editing part one of our Sweeney Todd series and stumbled upon a version of the book published online that had 134 additional chapters. No, God, please, no, no! No! Obviously, I had to dig into this, and it turns out that the popularity of the String of Pearls gave its publisher, Edward Lloyd, some serious financial incentive to keep the story going. So in 1850, three years after the story finished its original run, he ordered for the ending to be reworked and new chapters added every week until people stopped buying them. This resulted in the 39-chapter story being stretched across 173 total chapters. And while I'm not going to bother going through all of them, there are some hysterical and horrifying highlights that I know you're going to appreciate. So there's no major differences between the original and expanded publications until Tobias's escape from the Madhouse. That's when they start adding chapters following events that happened off-camera in the original. Like Tobias's adventures weren't over when he left the asylum. In this version, he was swarmed by a crowd of people after he got over the wall and was rescued by Colonel Jeffrey, who brought him to his house to recover. Meanwhile, his fellow escapee who fell from the wall suffers a terrible fate. Dr. Fogg and his assistant throw her down a well. And when she clings on to any surface she can to save herself, they chop off her hands, sending her falling into the darkness below. You know, a lot of people die in this story, but for some reason that one was the most disturbing to me. Anyway, over at the Colonel's house, Tobias is still a bit loopy after what Sweeney Todd put him through. So to shake him out of his breakdown, Tobias's mom brings over a girl who Tobias had a crush on named Mina Gray. And I've gotta say that while I haven't fully read these expanded chapters, I love this character. When she sees Tobias in his sad state, she immediately feels empathetic and wants to help him. Then, when Sweeney Todd breaks into the house to kill his apprentice once and for all, she goes akimbo with two of the colonel's pistols and threatens to blast his face off. 
giving the cowardly barber no choice but to run away. Some other scenes the expanded edition includes are when Richard Blunt found Mark Ingestry in the bakehouse connected to the vaults, Sweeney Todd walking by a poor woman whom he made a widow and her sad fatherless children, then refusing to give them any change, and a pretty hilarious moment where Todd tries to kill Lovett by pushing her out of a rowboat. Speaking of Lovett, in order to keep the story going, she is not poisoned by Sweeney Todd in the expanded edition. Instead, she's arrested. Then we're actually taken through She and the Barber's trial, which Lovett avoids the results of by poisoning herself. Apparently, she was haunted by the ghosts of her victims and couldn't stand living with them any longer. Meanwhile, Sweeney tries to escape justice and kill himself on more than one occasion first by almost slitting his own throat with a shattered piece of pottery, and then by nearly cracking his own skull with a hammer. Each of these attempts were interrupted, but that just forced the increasingly desperate barber to find a way to escape and cause even more chaos. What ensues are a series of narrow escapes by Todd while our steadfast heroes stay hot on his tail. And this all culminates into a horse chase where Sir Richard Blunt shoots Todd off his steed, sending him crashing onto the dirt and rocks below, breaking several of his limbs and ultimately killing him dead. And so the seemingly endless adventures of Sweeney Todd have finally concluded. But our series on them hasn't. Believe it or not, we still have more analysis to do, more connections to make, and of course we gotta discuss the real world events that may have led to the Demon Barber's creation. So expect all of that next week in part three of our Sweeney Todd series. In the meantime, thanks for tuning into the show. Now, if you don't mind, go ahead and cut the throats of those five star and follow buttons to sacrifice them to the algorithm gods and get more content like this sent to your device three times a week which is most of the time. I'll speak with you again next week in what will actually be the conclusion of this year's Spoopathon. Until then, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first. Mm-hmm.